All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to I-Town Church and part three of this series called The Recipe for Love. I want to say hello to all of our campuses, all our families streaming at home through itownchurch.com or the app. And then, of course, all the correctional facilities across the state. Come on, church, would you welcome our church family today? Yeah, so great to have you with us. Go ahead and grab something to take some notes with if you haven't already. Every time we study God's Word here at iTown, we believe the Holy Spirit is going to speak to us, and I'm excited to share God's Word with you today. In part one of this series, we talked about the issue of identity, one of the major crises in our culture and how we compare ourselves against one another, creating all kinds of false realities and insecurity and We can't have confident, healthy marriages and great relationships when we base our identity on what the world tells us we should be. If you missed week one, you need to check that out. And then, of course, last weekend we had pastors Casey and Wendy Treat. They did an amazing job at our marriage conference and ministering to us all weekend long. Can we honor them one more time? Thank God for them. Such a blessing to have them with us. And if you missed that message, you can jump online and watch that as well. Today, I want to talk to you about one of the biggest mistakes that we make in our marriages and and the thing that we desperately need, and that's the subject of clarity. Clarity. We'll get to that in just a minute. But I've made a lot of mistakes in 16 years of being married to Kate. Uh, Some of them I have the opportunity to uh, share with you. Of course, uh, confession is good for the soul, bad for the reputation. But uh, when we first got married, uh, we, we moved into this little house, and it was under construction Because I've got this one really bad habit that I haven't fixed uh, that's kind of persisted throughout our entire married life, and that's that I truly believe that I'm a great handyman, and so we get ourselves into these construction projects, and I say, no, we won't hire anybody to do the electricity or to do the plumbing. I can figure it out. I've never done it before in my life, but how hard could it be? And so I try to do all the stuff and end up... Uh, taking a lot longer and sometimes costing a little bit more. Any of you have a husband that's like that? Like, it'll be, it'll be fine. We'll, we'll figure it out. Well, I haven't burned anything down yet, praise God. But I got our first house under this massive renovation that we were moving into and unfortunately didn't get it finished before we got married. So I moved her home to our very first house after we were married onto plywood floors and all kinds of construction, no kitchen cabinets, you know, the regular things that you do when you're a a terrible husband and don't know what you're doing uh, with your poor bride. And so she told me, look, I've never done anything like this before. And we, it came time to paint. And she was like, I have no experience with this. And so I did what I thought was a great choice. I gave her a place to practice. I was like, here, would you paint the inside of this hall closet? That was a bad choice. I've never lived that down to this day. She torments me about the fact that I made her paint a closet first. And then, of course, I figured out that she was a better painter than me. So then I made her paint the whole house. That was even a worse decision. Here, here's the entire living room. Let's paint that. And, uh, and so uh, I worked her uh, uh, to the bone, of course, in that first little construction project. And then she got pregnant with our first child. And I don't know, she's always been a, a really small woman. And so her belly gets really big when she's pregnant. And, uh, and I don't know if the kids were like growing straight out from her, but she'd have these like big torpedo bellies. And, and so her belly was like way out there, really skinny and long. And, and, uh, and she came to me and asked, I don't know why you women do this, but it's unfair. I just want to say, you ask your husband questions that there are no good answers to. And it's just not fair. 
I don't know if you're just trying to pick fights, if you want to be mad at us and you're just looking for a reason, but she comes to me and says, uh, baby, does my butt look bigger? And I had that moment that it's like, well, I'm a Christian husband and I want to be honest, but like balancing grace and truth and how do I, so I, I said the first thing that popped into my head, I said, well, doesn't it have to, baby, to support your belly? It's kind of offsets, right? <laughs> Nope, wrong answer. That was bad. That was bad. Then a few years ago, I made a big mistake where uh, I fell for the lie of, I don't need anything for Christmas. Don't buy me anything because I don't want anything. So I did what she said. And then Christmas morning came, and of course, she got me a present. So everyone in the family had something under the tree. And after everything was unwrapped, it's like, baby, I didn't get you anything. You have no presents. Because you said you didn't want a present. That was a bad Christmas. So learn from my mistakes. Don't paint closets, all right? Let them paint the wall. Even if they're bad, you can fix it later. It'll be fine. It's all going to be okay. When they ask how they look, just say, that's not a fair question. I refuse to answer it. Or just lie. I'm giving you permission as a pastor. Just lie. Nope. Amazing. Skinnier. Every time the answer's skinnier. Every time. Doesn't matter what the truth is. Skinnier. And always buy a present. But today I want to talk to you about the biggest mistake that we make, really in all of our relationships, but especially in marriage, and it's a trap of the devil. It's this idea that our spouse is actually our competitor instead of our helper. That somehow... We're in this wrestling match for success in life and that it has to come at the cost of the person that we're married to. The the world would love to put us at odds with the people who are called to compliment us. And we get into this weird competition. Genesis chapter 2, the Bible says, God looked at Adam and he said, this dude is never going to make it by himself. He'll never find his keys. He'll never make it to work on time. He's going to be a mess. This guy needs a helper. He's going to make a lot of bad choices. We're going to get a helper suitable for him. And this is the picture of marriage. God created it. You need to remember that. That's why God gets to define it, because he made it. And it's between one man and one woman. And in that relationship, the Bible says that we make each other better. That you're supposed to be a helper to your spouse. And so I live with the reality that I'll never be all God's called me to be without Kate. And she'll never be all God's called her to be without me. That God has made the two of us one and that we can go further faster together, reaching higher heights and greater potential because we are in each other's lives, assisting one another as helpers. That's the institution of marriage. But the devil wants to reduce it to something that creates this tension and friction and competition in the relationship. James chapter 4 says it this way. Do you know where your fights and arguments come from? To which some of you are like, yeah, this moron I'm married to. It's their fault. Absolutely, I know. No, it says they come from selfish desires that war within you. The reality is all of us are born sinful. And there's this propensity towards selfishness. That comes naturally, right? We, we have a toddler in our house right now. And mine is one of the first words they learn. Even though all of it is actually mine... He believes it's his. (laughs) Mine. No, it's not your. Mine. I mean, they just gravitate towards being the center 
of their universe. All of us have that default function. So we think, I, I want things for myself. Yes, in fact, it says you want things, but you don't have them. Now, here's what's toxic in marriage and in our friendships. We believe that there are things that we are entitled to. The world kind of programs us that way. And so Hollywood sells this false belief about what marriage is supposed to look like, that you have this Prince Charming, you have this happily ever after, that you eat wedding cake for the rest of your life and never gain a pound and everything's perfect and wonderful and there are no problems. No, that's not what real marriage looks like, but we fall for that lie. So then we have these unfulfilled expectations. We want all this stuff, but it doesn't come to pass. And so then we feel like it's somebody else's fault. It's never my fault. It's never the inadequacy of who I am in the marriage or the things I'm failing to bring to the table or the areas that I need to grow. It's always victimizing ourselves and pointing our finger at everyone else. So we think we got to take it out on somebody else in order to get it. We're willing to kill and then we're jealous of other people. And we get jealous even of our spouses. We feel like somehow their success comes at our expense. That their joy is somehow our expense. And so we get jealous of other people, whether it's a friendship or our spouse or a, a relationship. And he says, but that doesn't work. It's the devil's way. So you still don't get what you want. So you end up in this really horrible cycle of being unfulfilled. And what it does is it just creates arguing and fighting in the marriage. So if you're in a relationship, if you're in a marriage today where there's a lot of arguing and tension and fighting, there's probably some jealousy and some selfishness because we're doing relationships the wrong way. So James chapter 3 says it this way. If you have this thing going on, the bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, stop ignoring it. Don't pretend like it's not there. It creeps in from the world. Let's deal with it. Let's talk about what it is. Don't cover it up by boasting or by lying. It says in verse 15, for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. That's why it doesn't work. That's why marriages are falling apart at a rate of greater than 50% both outside the church and inside the church because we're embracing these false principles of how marriage is supposed to work. So it says that's not God's wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. This is the reason why. This is the source of of the selfishness and the jealousy. And we're going to spend a few minutes talking about that in just a minute. He goes on to say in verse 16, wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, if you allow those elements into your marriage, if you're doing it the world's way and allowing it to be a competition, you will find disorder and evil of every kind. That word disorder literally means instability and chaos. So what happens is when we begin to compete with our spouse, we start to be jealous of their success we start to feel like they're responsible for our unhappiness and this thing isn't working out and now I have to be selfish and do what the world says and get what's mine and fight for me. We open the door for instability and for chaos in our home and in our marriage and the Bible says there's evil of every kind. The devil is at work in our homes. So obviously we can't have this happening. So the first thing we have to do is identify where all this is coming from and the Bible says that selfishness and jealousy is earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. So let's jot these down. The first thing is that earthly just means we get really connected to the world. And that has a tendency to creep into all of our lives, even as believers. We get so connected to earth. We live in a wonderful place. America is amazing. 
And, and I'm thankful for such a great nation where we just experience the rich blessings of God. Praise God. Yeah, you can be thankful for America. We aren't politically correct at Itown. It's okay to be an American. <laughs> Praise God for America. God bless America. Thank God for our great nation. Yeah. Praise the Lord for it. But at the same time, in some ways, as believers, it's a little bit of a curse because when you live in a third world country and you have to do your business in a hole and you're not sure where your next meal is going to come from, it's pretty easy to live for eternity. It's pretty easy to stay focused on heaven. And they, they say, man, I, I know that earth is not my home. Thank God that this is not my final resting place. I cannot wait for Jesus to come back and take me home. But when you live in America, you're kind of thinking, man, I kind of hope the Lord doesn't come back too soon because I'd like to finish my really nice house and kind of like to own that car and kind of like to see this play out in my career. And right, we have some wonderful things going on. It's okay to like and enjoy the stuff of earth, right? It's a material world and I'm a material girl. (laughs) I like my Jordans. I like my jackets. I, I like, there's some stuff that's nice. God's blessings are nice. God doesn't mind you having stuff, but God does mind your stuff having you. And there's a balance to that in this life. And as we've lived through 2020 and 2021, it's been honestly disheartening as a pastor to watch how much power this world has over people who profess to be Christians. Because we're worshiping life itself and worshiping safety above worshiping our God and honoring Scripture and doing what God's called us to do. And unfortunately... It's revealing the fact that as believers, we're just too connected to the world. There's something about this life that we're afraid to die because we're holding on to something in this place. And we need to come to grips with the fact that this earth is not our home, that we are just passing through this place. We are citizens of heaven and we should be eagerly awaiting our Savior from there, Christ Jesus, the Lord, where we will celebrate and there will be no more pain and no more sorrow and we'll be dancing on streets of gold. That's our future, everybody. We need to stay connected to eternity and the fact that this life is not about this life. But there's this temptation, and the Bible prophesied that it would creep into the church in the end times to make earth our home. And that gets into our marriage. Second Timothy says it this way. Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Check it out. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving. That's the condition of our culture today. And that can be the condition of our hearts. James says, if your relationships are sideways, it's a sign that there's probably some selfishness and some jealousy going on. And that's all because we get earthly. We get so connected to this earth that we forget about eternity. The second thing he says is that it comes from being unspiritual. Jot this down if you're taking notes. That just means we get disconnected from God. And I think the two kind of go hand in hand. It's pretty typical for us when we get really connected to the earth and we get really consumed with this life that we distance ourselves, we drift from God, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. And here's the source of it all in 2 Timothy. Go back to that prophecy in 2 Timothy 3. Not only would they not be good in relationships and really be focused on earth, but they'll love pleasure rather than God. They will pursue what feels good rather than the principles, being driven by pleasure rather than principles. And that's, again, the condition of our culture today. We have this false uh, uh, theology called hedonism that's in our culture today. That's the worship of flesh, the worship of pleasure, the worship of enjoyment. 
And that's the mantra of modern day America. If it feels good, if you like it, if it's good for you, then it's fine. Define your own truth. Make your own choices. You can live how you want and do what you like and sleep with who you want and forget about God. Just live however you desire. Pursue pleasure. There's a problem with that, though. If you interview anybody who has lived their entire life operating on every impulse and pursuing every pleasure and desire, you'll never find anybody that isn't broken and confused and destitute and isolated. That life leads you to a place that you never want to go. It's like sin takes you further than you wanted to go, keeps you longer than you wanted to stay, and costs you more than you ever wanted to pay. It looks good on the surface, but man, it will destroy your life. And even Solomon said, man, I had it all. I did it all. I slept with them all. I married them all. I did it all. And it's terrible. It's empty. I had every passion, every hobby, every pursuit, everything a person could ever dream for. In fact, he said, I denied myself no pleasure. And in the end, he said, it's all meaningless. And that's the condition of our culture, though. They lure us even as believers to say, hey, if you're not happy, hey, if you're not having fun, pursue pleasure. Pursue what feels good. But it's going to destroy our culture. We're going to get to the place, and we've already arrived, where someone else's freedom is going to cost you yours. Someone else's pleasure is going to cost you yours. We don't need to get into all those details. Talking about marriage today. So the reality is we get... Too connected to the world, and somewhere in the midst of that, we get disconnected from God. And then back to our text, it says we actually get to this place where we're operating in what the Bible calls demonic. Now, that does not mean that people are demon-possessed. There are people who are demon-possessed in the world today. We have a lot of them that show up at the church from time to time, and our staff does a great job of casting the devil out of them, because the Bible says in the name of Jesus they have to flee. There's nothing to fear. We don't worry about it. God's given us authority and power to trample under snakes and scorpions. So we're not worried about it, but I'm not saying that your spouse is demon-possessed, although you might argue with me on that point. What the Bible's talking about when it talks about being demonic here and the source of this jealousy and selfishness that gets into our relationship is something much different than you'd expect. It's actually that we are blinded by the devil. So jot that down if you're taking notes. Let me explain it to you. What happens is we get really connected to the world. We grow distant from God. We forget about his voice. We forget about how much we need his power. We forget about how much we need his presence. And then what happens is we get blinded by the devil. The devil begins to seed these lies into our lives. Check it out. If we go back to the text one more time in 2 Timothy 3... It says of these end time people, they will appear to have a godly life, but they will not let God's power change them. So they're going to do Christian things. Maybe even on Sunday, they kind of look like Christians. They talk like Christians, but they're not really letting God's power change their life. Now, this is significant because you have to understand how God actually changes you. What does it mean that we don't let God's power change us? Well, Romans chapter 12 says it this way, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Don't look like the world. Let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. So what that means is people who are resisting God's power to change them, they're resisting God's perspective of the world. You see, spiritual warfare isn't demons flying around or witches flying on broomsticks and people coming and attacking you. Spiritual warfare all takes place in the mind. 
That's why the Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are mighty to demolish the arguments and thoughts that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Pretensions. So the thought life is where spiritual warfare takes place. So these end time Christians would get really connected to the world, disconnected from God, and allow the devil to influence the way they think. Because if you're not letting God change the way you think, you're letting the devil influence the way you think. There's only two sources in this life. And so we have to understand that because what the devil wants to do is he wants to change the way you view the world. And so we become new people by allowing God to give us a new filter. And that happens when all of a sudden you awaken to this reality of this life is not about this life. This life is the dream. Eternity is the reality. We are just passing through this place. This is just a vapor. And I'm not going to live for this moment. I'm going to live for the life to come. And I'm going to do everything I can to tell as many people as I can about how much God loves them and how he gave his life for them so they don't have to suffer and die in their sins and be apart from God for all eternity because heaven is what matters in this life. It changes your perspective. So when you go through the marriage conference and everybody in your family is crazy and the furnace breaks and the dishwasher breaks and the refrigerator's falling apart and everybody in the family's fighting, you don't go, man, I have a terrible life. You take a step back and go, well, you know what? We had 1,200 people at the marriage conference and all these marriages are restored and lives are changed and God's bringing revival to our church. Perspective says this is spiritual. The devil's attacking us because what God is doing. You see how you see the world through a different lens. It gives you a new perspective to understand there's spiritual warfare that's taking place. What the devil wants to do is he wants to change your perspective. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says it this way. The devil who rules this world. And you time out for a minute. Remember, Adam gave dominion that God had given him over the earth to the devil in the garden. And it will not return to the kingdom of heaven until Jesus returns and takes over the earth. He has not returned. So the devil rules this world. The default kingdom of the earth is the devil's kingdom. That's why Jesus taught us as Christians to pray, God, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. We have to actively fight to bring God's kingdom into our lives and into our world because the devil rules the earth. And so what he does is he blinds the minds of people who don't believe so they cannot see the light. They can't see what God wants them to see. Now let's take this and apply it to our relationships. The Bible says they're very earthly. What happens is we get consumed with this earth, consumed with our career, consumed with our status, consumed with our income, consumed with our possessions. And in the pursuit of all that, we grow distant from God. We're not going to church. We're not reading our Bibles. We're not experiencing the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit so the Lord can minister to us and then in that condition, we become demonic, not demon-possessed, just blinded by the devil. We start to believe lies. We get the wrong filter. And as Christians, we say things that are false. Like, well, this marriage was doomed from the beginning. Well, we never really got along. Well, the truth is, we just fight all the time, and God wants me to be happy. That's a lie. You all know that's a lie. There is no scripture in the entire Bible, that says God wants you to be happy. That is false. That is a false gospel that the devil has seeded into the church that Christians repeat over and over and over again. The Bible talks about joy, but it never says God wants you to be happy. There's no verse in the Bible that says that. 
We need to know what the Bible says. We're supposed to be Christians that live our lives based on God's word. And so we say things like, it'd be better for everybody if we just got a divorce. It's right. It's what's best. The poor kids are living in such a war zone. And what would be best is if we just got a divorce. Why? Because we've fallen for this lie of selfishness and jealousy. And so we truly believe it's their fault. I want something I can't have in this relationship. And it's not because I won't change. It's because there's something wrong with my spouse who's now my competition. So I just have to get rid of them and find someone else. And that will make me feel better. That will make my life better. Nothing can be further from the truth. It's a lie from the pit of hell, and you are completely blind to the truth. Now, let me pause for a minute and say, for those of you who are in an abusive relationship, that we don't condone you staying in that environment. At iTown, any kind of abuse, we counsel for separation. You have to be safe, and you have the resources of our entire church. If you're being abused emotionally, physically, sexually, whatever that looks like, we will stand with you, and we will protect you because you have to be safe. Because we're here for you. Don't let yourself stay in a toxic environment. While at the same time, I know it's unpopular. But even in that condition, we don't counsel for divorce. Because we believe that God is a God of reconciliation. And we are supposed to be the bride of Christ. And if God treated us like most of us treat our spouses, all of us would be condemned to hell because we are the greatest adulterer. We cheat on God every week. And His mercies are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. He always extends forgiveness. And we're so thankful for that. It's a picture of what marriage is supposed to look like. So we always want to leave room for God to move. Now again, for those of you who are divorced, just hear me say We love you. There's no judgment here at all. Maybe you've walked that painful path. Our heart goes out to you. All I'm simply saying is whether you're in your first marriage or your fifth, whatever one you're on, that's the one to keep, all right? That's the one we're going to fight for. That's the one God wants to bless. And it's never too late. God can do a miracle. Don't believe the lie of the devil because we get so connected to the world, disconnected from God, and blinded by the devil that we think, well, this is the solution. No, it's not. God has a miracle that he wants to do in your life, and it begins with you. There's something that we've got to do to eradicate the selfishness and the jealousy. Let's talk about that, Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to give you a couple of very practical things that I'm sure you've heard before, but all of us need to put into practice and be reminded of. When you do things, don't let selfishness or pride be your guide. In other words, don't do relationships the world's way. Why? Because it doesn't work. So here's the recipe. Instead, be humble, give more honor to others than to yourselves. Don't just be interested in your own life, but be interested in the lives of others. Three very simple things. Number one, it starts with humility. It starts with just being humble. The problem with humility is that we oftentimes embrace the wrong definition of what it means to be humble. Many of us think to be humble, we have to think less of ourselves. Well, I'm really not that great. I'm really not that good. No, I, I, didn't, I don't do a great job. I'm not a very good husband. I'm not a very good wife. I'm not a very good father or a very good mother. Or I'm just okay as an employee. No, that's not humility. That's garbage. That's the devil. Being humble isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. <laughs> you see the difference. Humility is understanding that I'm not the center of my own universe. The world has worked over time to tell you And to sell to you this idea that you are the main character of your life. And that everybody in your life is a supporting cast 
Disney's done an amazing job in this. In fact, it's fascinating to watch how cultures change because back when Jesus lived and in that Old Testament culture and even in the early days of America, not several hundred years ago, people would look to the Lord and even sometimes their family to establish who am I called to be and what am I called to do. But Disney came along and American culture came along and it's a fairly new phenomenon that says, look inside yourself. And decide inside of you who you're called to be. You've got this beautiful story. Don't let anybody around you limit you. And while that message is great, that you shouldn't let other people limit your potential or your capacity, we want to look inside of ourselves and decide inside of ourselves because the world is training us to be a God unto ourselves and to be completely self-consumed and completely selfish about what we want and the life that we want to create. That's not God's plan. I just want you to hear that all of us are a part of history. You know what history is? It's his story. It's the story of the gospel. It's the story of Jesus. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. It's in him we live and move and have our being. He is the main character. All of the Old Testament leads up to the cross. All of the New Testament looks back to the cross. It will always be about Jesus. You and I are just supporting role players, cast members in Jesus' story. And if you'll grasp that, you'll understand that this life is not about your life. Paul says in Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ. I'm not even alive anymore. It's Christ who lives on the inside of me. And the life that I now live within this body is a result of trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. Paul knew it's not about my life. The false gospel of American Christianity is give your life to Jesus and he'll make your dreams come true. False. Give your life to Jesus and he'll kill you so that you can live to the life that he wants to resurrect you to live to. I suppose that's right. (laughs) There's nothing in the Bible that says God wants you to have all your dreams come true. It's not about your dreams. It's about his dream. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. It's God's plan for your life, not your plan for your life. You don't get to make up your own plan. We're all supporting cast members. He's already written the story. You and I just have to find our role in bringing Jesus to a hurting world. And so every single day, you need to die. Every single day, you need to be raised to life in Christ. Every day, Dave wakes up and wants to be a jerk and wants to be selfish. And every day, we have to kill him again. (laughs) So that Jesus can live through me. That's what humility looks like. It looks like surrendering. Second Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves, you know what humility looks like? Praying and turning from their wicked ways. It's recognizing that I'm a sinner and I need a savior. You need to actively do that every day of your life. God, I'm on my knees. I'm praying. I'm God dependent, not self-reliant. I need you. And I repent from the places that I missed it. Then God says, I'll hear that prayer. I'll forgive that sin, and I'll heal your marriage. I'll restore your kids. I'll bless your finances. I'll touch your nation. I'll bless your church. I'll move in a powerful way. If you'll just get to the place that you recognize, you don't have all the answers. Humility. Then he says, give honor to others. More honor than to yourself. So number two is give honor. Simple principles, but they combat the lies of the enemy that creep into our lives ever so subtly. Don't be jealous. Don't be selfish. Your wife, your friend, that coworker, they're not your competitor. They're someone that's meant to compliment you and you them. So give honor. The Bible says when we give honor, that means to give weight. 
Romans chapter 10. Be kindly affectionate to one another in brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. Honor literally means to give weight or to give value to someone else. And unfortunately in our culture today, we are working overtime to dishonor and devalue the opinions and thoughts of other people. And the Bible teaches us the opposite. You know, after 16 years of being married, I've learned that the voice of the Holy Spirit in my life sounds eerily similar to Kate's. <laughs> and I didn't recognize that early on in our marriage, and so many times I ignored her counsel and wisdom and made mistakes in lots of areas of life. And now I have learned, unfortunately, the hard way. Man, she's so wise, so insightful. God really called us to be together. I am the man I am today because of her. Our church is what it is today because of her. I'm so thankful for her influence and I value, I honor, I give weight to her opinion and all the major decisions that we make around here. She comes to the office and as a part of, of course, our executive team, she and I lead the church together in all our major decisions, but because we homeschool, or she homeschools, let me correct that phrase, we ain't doing nothing. <laughs> I'm just a cheerleader. Because she homeschools our five kids. She can't be in the office all the time. And there are many times that we'll be having a meeting about something. And I'll say, guys, we can't uh, make a decision on this until we get Kate to weigh in. If she's not there, it's like, man, I just value her. She's going to have a perspective that we don't have. we got to make sure she weighs in on this. Why? Not because I'm worried about her being upset or feeling left out. It's because she has a voice. I give weight to that because I understand who she is, who God's called her to be, and I'm thankful for that. And I'm just telling you, we got to change our perspective of our relationships. We have to understand what it means to give weight, to give honor to others. And then he concludes with this thought, don't just be interested in your own life, be interested in the lives of others. As we close, single people, I have to take a moment to point this out. It says, don't be interested only in your own life. So there's a double side to that message. And the part that we miss is, you do have your own life. Please hear me, single person. You don't have to lose your life to find someone. You don't have to give up your life to be with someone. God made you unique. God gave you preferences and gifts and a calling, all your own. And you don't have to lose all of that in your identity so that someone will love you. Don't just be interested in your own life. That means you are also interested and in touch with who God's called you to be, your own life. But then also be interested in the lives of others. In marriages, number three, be a servant. Think about how you can bless and serve others. Think about how you can make a difference in the lives of others. One quote that I was reminded of recently from a pastor who's gone on to be with the Lord. He was a great, phenomenal leader, but his greatest gift was he found greatness in others. And I can tell you that I had a significant conversation with him at a turning point in my own life. Kate and I were in a bad place in life and ministry, ready to give up before we ever planted I-Town, thinking about never doing ministry again. And he said to me, Dave, you and your wife are going to build a great church. We believe in you. Your best days are ahead. And I'm in ministry today because of that man. And he, praise God for him. I'm thankful. Brother Billy Hornsby was his name. So thankful for him. And he always said, I want my greatest success in life to be someone else's. I don't want to do anything great in life. I just want to make everyone else great. 
And I'm telling you, if you'll approach your marriage every day with that, I don't want to be great. I want to make my spouse great. I want to make my kids great. I want to make my friends great. If you'll spend your life doing that, you'll display the greatest form of love. John 15 says, the greatest love a person can show is to die for his friends, to give up your own rights, to give up your own desires, your own dreams. I'm telling you, in doing so, you'll find a life that's far more fulfilling and satisfying than anything that you can find if you do it the world's way. We need clarity in our marriages. How is it under attack? All the fighting and the arguing, that's just this insecurity, selfishness, and jealousy that the devil's bringing into our lives. Why? Because we get so connected to the world, we get disconnected from God, and we get the wrong perspective. Today, let's commit together. Man, I'm going to stay humble. I'm going to see how I can be a servant to others as I give weight and honor and value to them. I promise when you do that, you'll have a marriage that is such a blessing to the world around you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to take a minute before we go to pray for your marriage today. But first, I want to pray for those of you who are far from God, because I just want you to know you'll never be able to unconditionally love and forgive that person that God's brought into your life, that spouse, until you experience God's love yourself. The Bible says we love because He first loved us. And today I want you to be able to experience the love of the Father. Maybe you've been so connected to the world or pursuing pleasure and pursuits or you just got disconnected from God. You knew Him at one point, but you drifted. And you got confused. You got blinded by the devil. Pursued the wrong thing. I want you to know today that God's not mad at you. He loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And He desires more than anything to be in your life. If you just open your heart to Him today, we can do that through a simple prayer. I'm not going to make you stand or come to the front. I just want to pray with you right where you're at. If that's you today, would you do me the favor to take one bold step? Just lift your hand up high at all of our campuses or watching at home. Come on right now. Just say, Dave, count me in. Come on, lift your hand up high. Be bold today. Great job. All across the room. So proud of you. That's amazing. You can put your hands down. Here's what we'll do. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. You can pray it quietly in your heart. You just need to mean it. Just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me today. For all my sin and mistakes, I repent. Come and make me brand new. Change the way I think. Give me the power to love and to serve. Today I give you my life. Come on, just tell him that I give you my life. In Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for every person here for every incredible marriage. Lord, we thank you that there's nothing beyond your repair. There's nothing that you can't rescue and save. And so today we pray that you would touch every marriage. Those that are good, Father, make them great. And those that are in trouble, Father, we thank you for restoration today. As we enter the relationship without jealousy and selfishness, but with humility and honor, Father, we thank you that we can be a servant to one another, a helper suitable. Father, we thank you that we'll build a relationship that will be a light to the world around us. Thank you for your blessing in our lives. We love you today. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said amen. Amen. Come on, would you celebrate with those who prayed that prayer today? Yeah. Thank you so much for joining iTown Church online today. We would love to have the chance to meet you and your family in person at one of our campuses. Or, of course, you can join us streaming live online this weekend. 
Now for more details about times and locations and even some of our streaming options, you can go to itownchurch.com. I sure hope to see you soon. God bless.